Well, it's good to see you folks this uh, Lord's Day morning, and uh, hopefully, hopefully, y'all have a copy of uh, notes that say uh, meditation on Scripture in large font. And uh, so, um, I want to encourage you to turn, if, if you would, in your Bibles this morning to Psalm chapter one, and I'll, I'll begin by reading verses one through three. Psalm. Uh, chapter 1, and then verses 1 through 3. Beginning in verse 1, How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by the streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and whatever he does, he prospers. Let us pray. Father, thank you so much for uh, the Lord's Day, and we can begin by uh, gathering together and fellowshipping with one another. We thank you so much for the common, glorious, eternal salvation that we have in your in your Son, and we thank you for the joy that brings to our heart and the assurance of of, of eternal joy and fellowship with uh, one another and the saints. And so we thank you that we can uh, gather together and, and encourage one another in the, in the most holy faith that was once delivered to the saints. And so I, I pray during our time together this morning for the the help of your precious Holy Spirit, just to convey uh, your word in a way that is uh, honoring to thyself and and helpful and instructive to our own hearts and minds in, in the living of the Christian life in this world. So I pray that you would uh, guide and direct us and it would all ultimately redound to thy glory. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as uh, you know, in, in recent months, uh, we've been through various chapters in the Confession and my intention is to uh, continue that. Um, I was debating about this morning whether to start another chapter in the confession, and I'm going to be gone for the next three Sundays, so I thought it might be something better to do something just completely different this morning, and then when I get back, we'll continue on in, in studies in the confession. And as you can tell from the notes in front of you, the theme uh, for this morning is, is meditation. And uh, it's one of those themes in terms of um, kind of the motive for, continue, for con- considering it, one of the, the motives to consider meditation on Scripture, meditating on the character and the, and the attributes of God um, is, and we'll see this in our study this morning, is the multiple really amazing benefits that are connected with meditating on Scripture. So that's one of the main things that we want to focus on. And uh, another reason to consider it, I think, and um, I find this true at least in my own heart, um, the, the times that we live in mitigate against meditation because in the nature of the case, it's stopping and focusing. It's not flitting from one thing to the next. So the times that we live in, uh, they, they don't lend themselves to the concept of meditation. And there is uh, also um, uh, an opposition in our own heart to the, the subject of meditation. And that needs to be considered as well. So um, I, I think it will be a helpful consideration for our souls uh, this morning. And the notes that you have, um, it's structured under uh, seven main headings. And so we'll kind of see how that goes this morning. And to begin with, just a, a helpful, more of a, of a current quote here from Maurice Roberts on the issue of meditating on Scripture. He writes that our age has been sadly deficient in what may be termed spiritual greatness. At the root of this is the modern disease of shallowness, 
We are all too impatient to meditate on the faith we profess. It's not the busy skimming over religious books or the careless hastening through religious duties which makes for a strong Christian faith. Rather, it's unhurried meditation on gospel truths and the exposing of our minds to these truths that yields the fruit of a sanctified character. Then the the first place we'll start here is a scriptural foundation for meditation. And just a a few further thoughts here about what we read in Psalm chapter 1 and and verses 1 through 3. This is maybe the first passage that you think of when you consider this particular theme. But uh, blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. And you see there's there's four negatives here that we find in uh, in these early verses. But J. Alexander writes, walk here. It's, It's a common figure for the course of life or the habitual conduct of a person's life. And W.S. Plummer says, a man's walk, it's the course of his life. When the tenor of his ways are like that of the wicked, he is wicked. And then he also writes, um, the, the counsel of the wicked is a term used to denote not merely his advice, his aims, his maxims, his principles, his practices. So it, it's really his whole outlook on life. There's no fear of God before his eyes. And wicked or the ungodly are those whose moral condition is lax. And then secondly, um, nor standeth in the way of sinners. Um, and A.C. Leupold writes, When a man takes his stand in such a way, he's committed to the nefarious way of life that marks all who are walking in it. And then thirdly, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. Scornful is those who, uh, Alexander writes, those who treat religion with contempt. So this is a, a great um, descent into very very unholy kind of relationships. So you see there's kind of a progression here from walking to standing to sitting. And then fourthly and positively, after these negative perspectives are brought out positively, in contrast to that, his delight is in the law of the Lord. His delight is in the law of the Lord. And here, again, H.C. Uh, Leupold wrote, It is to him not a, a troublesome and unwelcome fetter, It is not a set of hard restraints. It's a joy for him to learn and to do the demands of the law. And in his law doth he meditate day and night. So that's that's the pattern of life that is to be sought after. Plummer says the power of reflection chiefly distinguishes a man from a brute. The habit of reflection chiefly distinguishes a wise man from a fool. Pious reflection on God's word greatly distinguishes a saint from a sinner. So kind of a very helpful basis for the concept of meditation, biblical basis in Psalm 1, verses 1 through 3. And these are some other other scriptures that bear on this particular theme. Uh, Joshua chapter 1 and verse 8. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your prosperous and then, excuse me, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success or have good success. So here there's a connection between meditation on the one hand and obedience to the law or God's word on the other. Uh, and then uh, Psalm 119 and verse 15. David writes, I will meditate on thy precepts and regard thy ways. And verse 78 says, May the arrogant be ashamed, for they subvert me with a lie, but I shall meditate on thy precepts. And what you'll notice here in some of the other texts, and we'll talk a bit more about this, 
But there has to be a resolve. There's a, there's a determination. This is something I'm going to do. This is something that's a priority. So just nice topic to consider this morning, but rather it's just something that one has to consider to think this is something that I will do. Verse 48 of Psalm 119, I shall lift up my hands to thy commandments, which I love, and I will meditate on thy statutes. And what you see here in these next couple of texts is there's a connection between an affection or a love for Holy Scripture and meditating on Holy Scripture. Verse 97 of Psalm 119, Oh, how I love thy law. It is my meditation all the day. So it includes the affections. And then uh, verse 148 of Psalm 119, um, interesting text. My eyes anticipate the night watches that I may meditate on thy word. And, and the idea here, the psalmist said, I'm, I'm looking forward, forward to evening time because here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to meditate on thy word. It's what I'm looking forward to. Verse 4 of chapter 4, Tremble and do not sin. Meditate in your heart upon your bed and be still. Uh, Psalm 63, 6, When I remember thee on my bed, I meditate on thee in the night watches. And then Psalm 77 and verse 6, I will remember my song in the night. I will meditate uh, with my heart and my spirit ponders. And in Psalm 77, 12, um, again, you see this idea of, of uh, determination. I will meditate on all thy work and muse on thy deeds. In fact, these, these next several verses all have to do, especially with meditating on the, the works of God and things that he has done. Uh, verse 27, Psalm 119, make me understand the way of thy precepts, so I will meditate on thy wonders. Psalm 145 and verse 5, on the glorious splendor of thy majesty and on thy wonderful works, I will meditate the majesty of the being of God. Psalm 143 and verse 5, I remember the days of old, I meditate on all thy doings, I muse on the works of thy hands. So several scriptures there that really kind of give very strong, very uh, profound biblical basis for meditation. Secondly, the the benefits of meditation, these are from Joel Beakey. There is a a book we have in our library, it's called The Puritan Theology, and if you want to pursue this more, it's there, and this is from that book, and it's, it's very helpful. There's a whole chapter on meditation, and he just, he just pulls from the Puritan, so it's, it's very, very helpful. But these are some of the benefits that are connected with meditation. What will it do for a person if he or she is faithful in meditating on Scripture? Uh, meditation helps us focus on the, the triune God to love and to enjoy Him in all His persons, intellectually spiritually, aesthetically. Meditation helps increase knowledge of sacred truth. It takes the veil from the face of truth. Meditation is the nurse of wisdom, for it promotes the fear of God, which is the beginning of wisdom. Meditation enlarges our faith by helping us to trust the God of promises in all our spiritual troubles and and the God of providence in all our outward troubles. So it it deepens our faith and especially helps us to to grip truth in the midst of of difficulty. Meditation augments one's affections. Thomas Watson calls meditation the bellows of the affections. He said, meditation hatcheth good affections. As the hen her young ones by sitting on them, we, we light affection at the fire of meditation. I don't know if you can come across it. Spurgeon has a sermon entitled, While I Was Musing, The Fire Burned. It's, it's out there somewhere. I'm not sure where you can find it, but that's an, at least that's the name of it. Um, meditation uh, fosters repentance and reformation of life. And, and here, you might turn to Psalm 119, look at some of these passages. It's Psalm 119 and verse 59. Psalm 119 and verse, Psalm 119 and then verse 59. 
Okay, Psalm 119.59. The idea here is meditation fosters repentance and reformation of life. And verse 59 says, I considered my ways, and the result of that, and turned my feet to your testimonies. Consider it is, is to calculate or to imagine. So it, it implies some sustained, deliberate thought on one considering his or her ways, their, their, their comings and their goings in this life. Meditation helps us view worship as a discipline to be cultivated. It makes us prefer God's house to our own. Meditation transfuses scripture through the texture of the soul. Meditation is a great aid to prayer. It tunes the instrument of prayer before prayer. Whatever would come to your mind there, a guitar or a cello or a violin or something, has to be tuned before it makes the right kind of, of sound. Meditation helps us to hear and read the word with real benefit. It makes the word full of life and energy to our souls. William Bates wrote, Hearing the word is like ingestion, and when we meditate upon the word, that is digestion, and this digestion of the word by meditation produceth warm affections, zealous resolutions, and holy actions. Meditation on the sacraments helps our graces to be better and stronger. It helps faith, hope, love, humility, and numerous spiritual comforts thrive in the soul. Excuse me. Meditation stresses the, the heinousness of sin. It musters up all weapons and gathers all forces of arguments for, it's kind of an older spelling here of press, our sins, and lay them heavy upon the heart, wrote Fenner. Thomas Hooker said, Meditation sharpens the sting and strength of corruption, that it pierceth more prevailingly. It's a strong antidote against sin and a cure of covetousness. Strong antidote against sin and the cure of covetousness. Meditation uh, enables us to discharge religious duties because it conveys to the soul the lively sense and feeling of God's goodness so the soul is encouraged to duty. So it helps us to to keep from just simply going through the motions, but to have our heart engaged in the activities of our soul. Meditation helps to prevent vain and sinful thoughts. It helps to wean us from this present evil age. And you might turn here to Jeremiah chapter 4 and verse 14. Jeremiah chapter 4 and verse 14. Meditation helps prevent vain and sinful thoughts. And Jeremiah 4 in verse 14 says, uh, Return, O faithless sons, declares the Lord, for I am a master to you, and I will take you one from a city and two from a family, and I will bring you to Zion. That's a great verse, but not the one we want to read in this connection. Now turn to the next, the next chapter. Wash your heart from evil, verse 14 of chapter 4, Jerusalem, that you may be saved. How long will your wicked thoughts lodge within you? I thought that was a fascinating phrase. How long will your wicked thoughts lodge within you? And, and, and the point here is that, that meditation will help to evict the wicked thoughts from the soul. It's helpful to, to get them out of the soul. So that was very helpful from that perspective as long as you get the right verse. Meditation provides inner resources on which to draw, including direction for daily life. And here turn to Proverbs chapter 6 and verse 61. Proverbs chapter 6 and verse 61 provides inner resources on which to draw, including direction for daily life. Proverbs 6 and verse 21. Bind them continually on your heart. Tie them around your neck. Then verse 22. When you walk, they will guide you. When you sleep, they will watch over you. When you awake, they will talk to you. Um, 
And then also meditation uh, helps to persevere in the faith. Um, William Bridge puts it like this. It keeps our hearts savory and spiritual in the midst of all our outward and worldly employments. It keeps our hearts savory and spiritual in the midst of all our outward and worldly employments. And then meditation is a mighty weapon to ward off Satan and temptation. And, see, and here I can just read this to you or you can turn to it. Psalm 119. And verse 11, Psalm 119 and verse 11 says, um, Your word have I treasured in my heart that I might not sin against you. Thy word have I treasured in my heart that I might not sin against you. It's the text he says in connection with meditation is a mighty weapon to ward off Satan and temptation. Uh, meditation provides relief in afflictions. Uh, meditation provides us benefit with our spiritual fellowship and counsel. Excuse me. Meditation helps us benefit others with our spiritual fellowship and counsel. And the thought there, I think, is pretty straightforward. The deeper you and I are in the Word, the better we can help other people with the Scriptures that the Lord has worked through the crucible of our own thinking process. Um, Meditation promotes gratitude for all the blessings showered upon us by God through his Son. And then lastly, um, meditation glorifies God. Meditation glorifies God. <clears throat> and then a helpful quote here from Thomas Brooks. Uh, he wrote, meditation is the food of your souls. It's the very stomach and natural heat whereby spiritual truths are digested. A man shall as soon live without his heart as he shall be able to get good by what he reads without meditation. It's not he that reads most, but he that meditates most that will prove the choicest, sweetest, wisest, and strongest Christian. Well, then number three, what is the nature of meditation? And what are we talking about more specifically? And I'm using Donald Whitney and Thomas Watson here as resources to kind of define what we're talking about with meditation. <clears throat> Donald Whitney says, let's define meditation as deep thinking on the truths and spiritual realities revealed in Scripture for the purpose of understanding application and prayer. Meditation goes beyond hearing, reading, studying, and even memorize as, uh, memorizing as a means of taking in God's Word. A simple analogy would be a cup of tea. You are the cup of water, and the intake of Scripture is represented by the tea bag. Hearing God's word is like one dip of the tea bag into the cup. Some of the tea's flavor is absorbed by the water, but not as much as would occur with the more thorough soaking of the bag. In this analogy, reading, studying, and memorizing God's word are represented by additional plunges of the tea bag into the cup. The more frequently the tea enters the water, the more effect it has. Meditation, however, is like immersing the bag completely and letting it steep until all the rich tea flavor has been extracted um, and the hot water is thoroughly tinctured reddish-brown. Well, then Thomas Watson, he says, Meditation, it's the soul's retiring of itself. A Christian, when he goes to meditate, must lock up himself from the world. The world spoils meditation. Uh, Christ went apart into the mount to pray. So go apart when you meditate. Isaac went out into the to the excuse me. Isaac went out to the out to meditate in the field. He sequestered and retired himself that he might take a walk with God by meditation. Secondly, meditation. Excuse, excuse me. The second thing in meditation is a serious and solemn thinking upon God. The Hebrew word to meditate signifies with intenseness to recollect and gather together the thoughts. Uh, and the rest of this quotation 
Um, he uses three words that you might not use every day. One is, uh, one is quicksilver, which is liquid metal, uh, mercury. It's used in similes and metaphors to describe something that, that, that moves and changes quickly. So that's the idea of quicksilver. And then B-O-U-G-H is um, it's pronounced bow. It's referred to a large uh, plant. And then we'll get to the word limner. It's, it's a synonym almost for artist. It's, it's the idea of the painting of portraits. So he says, meditation is not a, <clears throat> a cursory work to have a few transient thoughts of religion. But there must be in meditation a fixing the heart upon the object, a steeping the thoughts. Carnal Christians are like quicksilver, which cannot be made to fix their thoughts, cannot be made to fix their thoughts on. Their thoughts are roving up and down and will not fix, like a bird that hops from one bow to another and stays nowhere. David was a man fit to meditate. Oh God, my heart is fixed. In meditation, there must be a staying of the thoughts upon the object. <clears throat> a man that rides post through a town or village, he minds nothing. But an artist or limner that is looking on a curious piece, views the whole draught and portraiture of it. He observes the symmetry and proportion. He minds every shadow and color. A carnal, flitting Christian is like the traveler. His thoughts ride post. His minds nothing. He minds nothing of God. A wise Christian is like the artist. He views with seriousness and ponders the things of religion. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And then thirdly, third thing in meditation, it's the raising of the heart to holy affections. A Christian enters into meditation as a man enters into the bath that he may be healed. Meditation heals the soul of its deadness and earthliness. In the fourth place, the, the need for meditation, and the point I'm making here is it's really the need to exercise resolve and determination in meditation. That's the main point here that Thomas Watson is, ma is making. He says, meditation is a duty opposed. We may conclude it's a good duty because it's against the stream of corrupt nature. As he said, you may know that religion is right, which Nero persecutes. So you may know that it is a good duty, which the heart opposeth. We shall find a strange averseness from meditation. We're swift to hear, but slow to meditate. Uh, to think of the world, if it were all day long, is delightful. But as for holy meditation, how doth the heart wrangle and quarrel with this duty? This is such a duty that the heart doth naturally oppose and enter its descent against. The secret antipathy the heart hath against it shows it to be good. And this is reason enough to enforce meditation. So we, we know it's a good thing because the old man opposes it. The heart opposes it. And so we know that's a good thing for our soul. Well, then, in the fifth place, four helps to meditation on Scripture. Uh, number one, <clears throat> excuse me, set some time apart every day. This is Thomas Watson. Set some time apart every day that you may be in a serious and solemn manner with God. This kind of fits in with discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Secondly, consider the morning as an especially good time for meditating on Scripture. In the morning, the mind is fittest for holy duties. The morning thoughts stay longest with us uh, the day after. When the mind receives the impression of good thoughts in the morning, it holds this sacred dye the better. And this is to imitate the pattern of the saints. Number three, meditate on Scripture that you memorize in conjunction with your daily Bible reading. This is from Donald Whitney. He says, read less if necessary in order to meditate more. Although many Christians need to find the time to increase their Bible reading, there may be some who are spending all the time they can or should reading the Bible. 
If you could not possibly add more time to your devotional schedule for meditating on your scripture reading, read less in order to have more to have some unhurried time for meditation. Even though you may find moments throughout the day when you meditate on God's word, the best meditation generally occurs when it's part of your main daily encounter with the Bible. And then fourthly, this is again from Thomas Watson, how long should one meditate on scripture? He said, it's hard if we cannot give God at least one half hour every day. I shall only say this for a general rule. Meditate so long till thou findest thy heart grow warm in this duty. If when a man is cold, you ask him how long he should stand by the fire, sure, till he be thoroughly warm and made fit for his work. So Christian, thy thy heart is cold, never a day. No, not the hottest day in summer, but it freezeth there. Stand at the fire of meditation till thou findest the affections warmed and thou art made fit for spiritual service. I'll conclude with that excellent saying of Bernard, Lord, I will never come away from thee without thee. And then in the fifth place, these are a couple of uh, distinctions about the character of meditation. Um, how it, excuse me, how it differs from memory, how it differs from memory, how it differs from study. <clears throat> excuse me, the meditation of a thing hath more sweetness in it than the bare remembrance. The memory is the chest or cupboard to lock up a truth. Meditation is the palate to feed on it. The memory is like the ark in which the manna was laid up. Meditation is like Israel's eating of manna. There's as much difference between a truth remembered and a truth meditated on as between a cordial in a glass and a cordial drunk down. How meditation differs from study. Watson says they they differ in their nature. Study is a work of the brain, meditation of the heart. Study sets the invention on work. Meditation sets the affection on work. They differ in their design. The design of study is notion. The design of meditation is piety, or we might say godliness. The design of study is the finding out of a truth. The design of meditation is a spiritual improvement of a truth. The one searches for the vein of gold, the other digs out the gold. And then in the seventh place, uh, here's a few subjects from Thomas Watson Watson for meditation. Um, and I didn't have time to really develop this part of it, but this, the first thing he, he um, mentions here is meditate on God's attributes. And when you think of these things like uh, God's omniscience, uh, he's all-knowing, God's holiness, God's wisdom, God's power, uh, the mercy of God, um, I would suggest probably each of one of those has a little bit different effect, meditating on the holiness of God or the wisdom of God or the mercy of God. Um, they're different perfections of the being of God, and it's logical to assume they're going to have different effects and different benefits for the soul. <clears throat> Watson, Watson indicates we can meditate on the promises of God. He says promises of remission, promises uh, of sanctification. He calls it promises of remunerations based on um, John 14, 2, in my father's house are many mansions. Um, meditate on the love of Christ, John 15, 9. Meditate upon sin, the guilt of sin, the filth of sin, that would be the pollution of sin, the curse of sin. Meditate upon the, the vanity of the creature, the excellency of grace. Meditate on thy spiritual estate. Search me, O God, see if there be a wicked way. Uh, meditate upon the paucity of them that will be saved. It's sobering to consider how many are not saved. Um, meditate upon final apostasy. Meditate upon death, the certainty of death, upon the proximity of death. It is near to us. Meditate upon the uncertainty of time. 
think seriously that to die is to be but once done after death there is nothing to be done meditate on the day of judgment meditate upon hell meditate upon heaven and meditate upon eternity so a lot of food for thought there with respect to the subjects of meditation so um, thought that would be a helpful consideration for today and, and hopefully that's helpful to all of us in our living of the Christian life for his glory and let us pray Father, I thank you for the time together with uh, these brothers and sisters in Christ, and, and you know each of our comings and goings, and we live in in such a fast, busy time, and so I, I pray that you would cause uh, something in this consideration to be of great help to our souls. I pray that you who uh, know all of our hearts might be pleased to just extract something from the consideration this morning and, and uniquely apply it to each one of our hearts and, and help us increasingly to truly know that we are people that have the practice of um, meditating on your holy revelation for the, the good of our souls and the benefits that we would receive. May uh, you improve this to each of our hearts for your honor and your glory. And we pray that you would prepare our hearts as well for uh, morning worship. Might it be precious uh, to our own souls. So bless the rest of our time together this morning. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.